Do you like retro games? Check out the Nerd Cave Retro Podcast, hosted by Jason Robbins and Derek Diamond, where every week they review old games and cover the latest retro gaming news. Go to nerdcaveretro.com to join the Discord community. If you like the Open Micers Podcast but think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court Podcast, hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn, found wherever podcasts are given away for free. Do you believe in ghosts, UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? We are ready to believe you. Join our spirited hosts, Carlos and Wally, as they investigate real ghost videos, discuss guest experiences, and research the real-life origins of some of our favorite horror movies with a dash of Ghostbusters news thrown in from the home office. So, if you believe, you don't, or somewhere in between, join us as we try to unravel the mysteries of the paranormal on Ready to Believe You, wherever podcasts are available. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond and old Rob himself, Robbie Hennig. Just drop that ass, bitch, it's open micers in the house. Pop that pussy with that open micers logo in your mouth. Chase him with his bald ass head. Jacob looking in bed. It's open micers, bitch, heard what I said. Drop that ass, drop that ass, open micers in the house. Drop that ass, pop that pussy, open micers in the house. Open micers in the house, open micers in the mouse. Drop that ass, pop that pussy, open micers in the house. The mic is now open. That's right. The <laughs> mic is now open. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig. I'm the inbred portion of our theme song. Uh, looking double inbred now since my haircut, dude. This is our first regular episode since I got whatever this is. Uh, I look like I smoke both meth and meats now. So that's well. If you want people to see it, you need for. to fix your. <clears throat> Fix your camera a little bit there, Jacob. Like, put it put it up a little bit. There you go. Is that good? Can <clears throat> now you see you that? Look, now you're looking like curly. There you go. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm, I don't know what's even happening with me. I'm down bad, brother. I'm down bad. But we're going to be up good this episode because we have another fantastic guest coming on the podcast. You know this guy from his four. That's right. Four albums from stand-up records. You know him. From all across the festival scene, you know him for opening for some of the best comics in the entire world, like Patton Oswalt, Brian Posehn, Janine Garuffalo. Straight comedy legends this guy has worked with. And he's on his way to becoming, to becoming one himself. It's the one and only Derek Sheen. How you doing, buddy? Hello. Thank you. That was an awesome... Uh, thank you. That's like an awesome introduction. And uh, don't shit on that theme song. Don't fucking... Don't <laughs> sleep on that shit. It... it, it, it that is the quintessential open mic theme song. <laughs> right. Like if you showed up to an open mic that only did music and they were like, what do you guys think of this theme song? They'd be like, well, it's an open, it's an open mic. Like it's an open, that is the most open mic I've ever heard. It I, is feel like, I feel like if you're at a comedy open mic and like the comic that pulls up with a guitar case, you're like, oh shit, dude, for real. I feel oh. like that's what he would play after he opens up his guitar case. Yeah. Yeah, he's not playing anything. He's not playing anything. He's playing pop that pussy open mic. <laughs> yeah, dude. He's Drop not that ass. <laughs> he, he's not covering candle in a wind. He's not, <laughs> he's, he's not doing karma police by Radiohead. He's fucking <laughs> pop that pussy, drop that ass. Yeah. <laughs> So you don't think yeah. anybody will immediately turn the pod if they're new to this podcast and they hear that theme song, they're just like, nope, I'm out. 
or are they going to stay? Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I absolutely loved it, but also because <laughs> I imagine that it is just like, it could be person repellent, but in the right way. Like I, yeah. <laughs> if they repelled the theme song and say, Hey, just don't hate it yet until you drive it, you know? Well, I feel like if we're turning people away at the theme song, then like the podcast isn't going to be much better. <laughs> like, like if that offends you, maybe you should stop. Now. <laughs> you should turn this off now. You should quit while you're ahead. <laughs> but Derek, I'm very excited to have you on, man. Uh, very Thank excited you. to talk about your open mic journey. Um, I want to talk first about, I know you were a headliner at this year's Altercation Fest. What was that like? Who were some cool people you met? Oh, man. Just describe the whole experience for me. I love that fest. Um, That happens every uh, year. November, I think, now the beginning of November. Austin, Texas. um, It all happens in one location at Kick Butt Coffee. So it's kind of a DIY coffee bar punk venue uh, that JT Habersat loves. And uh, it's... It's bananas. I mean, everybody's in this place the whole weekend. All the shows are there. The audience is there. Um, it's always kind of, it's a little exhausting because you don't, you're never leaving the venue. Yeah. Uh, and it, after, like, after a day of it, you don't feel like you're real anymore because you're going to go right back into that thing. And it kind of feels like a recycling uh, uh, nightmare that... <laughs> Like, it's the same people, and we're like, we're still in this fucking building. Did we all die in a bus crash? And uh, and so uh, I, what I really, what I love about it, too, is just the unpredictability. Um, everybody that comes to that fest kind of brings their A game. Uh, I mean, Mo, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Mo Alexander, but oh, you yeah, should yeah. be. Uh, yeah, I right. mean, Mo's, Mo's the godfather. Uh, and, and that was, you know, every festival, if I get to do, if I get to go see that guy, Anytime I will push my mom's urn into traffic to go see him. Like, and there's no need. Why am I pushing my mom's? She's already in a fucking urn. Why is she in my way? Why did I go there? Why did I put my mom's urn in the way of me getting to see Mo? And he wouldn't, he'd be like, why don't you put the urn on a shelf, man? And then come see me. But, uh, but regardless, uh, worth it. Um, and this year was, uh, no exception. Um, I mean, Eddie Pepitone, uh, always, you know, amazing. Chris, uh, Kristen Lytle did her, or Lighty did her album there. Uh, Brandy Posey, who else did I? God, I saw a ton of people. Sam Miller. Um, it, it's bananas. And it's just, you know, the cool thing about uh, most festivals you get to see, you'll run into people, you know, going back and forth to shows or whatever. But you'll never really see everybody at the fest. You know, like I just did, I just got back from Portland. I did the festival there this weekend. And there were friends of mine. I didn't see them because they were on different shows or across town. And I was there for three days. And there were the people I didn't see. The thing I like about altercation is everyone's in that venue. Everyone. Yeah. Every comic, the whole weekend, everyone's there watching the show, laughing. So you do get to see everybody if you stick around. Um, and there's no chance you're going to miss anybody. And it's just kind of a fucking uh, bacchanalia. Like, everybody's drinking and getting high, even though it's super illegal in Texas. And uh, and I think everybody just 
typically in that room, it gets so hot in terms of like the energy and the audience that it's just every show is a banger. I had an amazing time. I always do. I had a great, I had a great set. I was very excited to get to stretch out a little bit and do an hour. And, uh, but, and then, you know, uh, I mean, if you haven't submit, it's worth it or go, you know, if you're not at that place yet where you're not ready to submit, just go buy a ticket and go to Austin. Stay for three days, get a Airbnb with some friends. It's worth it. I was going to uh, ask you about. <clears throat> you mentioned the how hot the crowd was. What's the what the what is that room like when you're you're at that festival? Everybody's there to see comedy, and you pretty much know. Is it kind of like you know you're not going to bomb? <laughs> it's like is it almost impossible to bomb? You just know you're going. There's a lot of stress. Everybody I talk to, uh, I mean, you know, because it, if it's if it's going well. If you're a comic on that in that lineup and everything is just at 10, you're always going to feel like, what if I'm the eight? Like, what if I bring all this goodwill down? Holy fuck, I don't want to be the one to fuck it up. So most everybody is usually kind of nervous and amped when they're when they go up there. Also, because you just the stage is a little taller and you're there. You're the center focus. And um it's, uh, I mean, I always get a little more nervous on there, but when you're crushing in that room, you know, or if you're, even if you're just doing well, it definitely feels like you're crushing. Yeah. You know, everybody's engaged. It's just you and the audience. There's no other sound. And uh, when you hit, when you get a laugh, a real big one, you can feel it. It's just a solid place to do stand up. Uh, and fuck, I mean, just everything we saw, everything I saw this year, I, you know, I love I being sober is very different when you're in Austin. So now sure. I don't miss anything. Yeah, geez. <laughs> I mean, there's there's two things to do in Austin, and that's like eat beef ribs and then uh, get drunk and throw up beef ribs. And I don't I don't drink, so I you know. Uh, and that's played, double beef ribs. Double beef ribs. Um, I actually played bass for double beef ribs in high school. <laughs> they open for crowned fish. Um, <laughs> the premier Mudvayne tribute band that only does uh, fish style covers of Mudvayne songs. Um, I really had to dig deep for that. Um, I don't think there's anything that can make fish better. The, the band fish. Well, but again what if the songs were played by the guys from Mudvayne? it I, might go a little something like this <laughs> also that that sounds like a real uh mo alexander comedy city to just be mowing down some yeah. fucking beef ribs oh my god drinking tequila and then i mean i forged myself on there's a place called jew boy burgers i've uh, heard, of it. And I've it's, heard it's it's the best so fucking ridiculous man i mean I, my buddy james and i like I mean, I ate my, I pretty much ate my, I made a wall of fat, basically, uh, at that place. I just, uh, stuffed tachos and, you know, double uh, burger with a pork belly on top. Like, Jesus. I don't know why I'm still here. I mean, how do people live in, in Texas and not just have blocked colons all the time? I mean, if you go to Texas, you'd see, like, I mean, unless you guys are there, you would know that it's a lot of blocked colons. <laughs> the state's 90% blocked colons. I mean, yeah, they that's got how it. they vote. That's how they live. Just blocked colons. I just constipated, a... 
I think there's a border town called Blocked Colon somewhere down there. <laughs> well, there's Constipation, Texas. <laughs> I think there's, there's got to be a Constipation, Texas. If not, then we should all put our money together in a Kickstarter and start one. Yeah, right. I spent, uh, in 2005, I was on tour with a band, and we spent a month to just touring Texas and never hit the same place twice. In a month. Like, nobody really knows how big of a place Texas, Texas is. Texas could be three states. Easily. There's no reason to have one big, dumb state. That is such an American thing. <laughs> Texas, one big, dumb state. One big, dumb state. And, I mean, like, look at Wyoming. Wyoming could be three states. There's no reason to have yeah. all of this is Wyoming. You could have, like, New Wyoming and then Wyoming. And well, then also California. I mean, it looked like by the time yeah. the map makers got to California, they were just like, eh, fuck it. It's <laughs> big enough. There we go. Done. He was up all night. I'm never going to finish this fucking map. There it is. California right there. Done. Whole thing. Oh, Jesus. Get this off to Rand McNally. <laughs> God, there's a name I haven't heard in like 30 years. <laughs> The ancient map makers, Randon McNally. But what would the negative repercussions be of just giving the bottom part of Texas back to Mexico? No repercussions whatsoever. I mean, they're always like, there's a border crisis. Yeah, well, why don't you give them half your fucking country then? Like, you're not using most of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a store Trump 2024 flags, most of it. So let them use some available real estate. Yeah, Texas is like 90% empty. Like, why not just give yeah. it, give them a chunk? Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, we're, we're overly burdened. Also, I feel like what we should do is just make Mexico the 51st or 52nd state. I'm okay. <laughs> Bring them into the U.S. economy and then just fucking, there you go. Have fun. We're now, we're all part. Now we've got a little part of South America. They're covered, right? Uh, they've got, now they've got a, a little stronger economy. I don't have to worry about a border crisis. More people are going to be able to fit into that space. And, and also, why not? I mean, it kind of sucks. They have a shitty government, and uh, part of the reason that there's so many cartels is because there's no army that's big enough to take them on. But join the United States, you know? Come on yeah, in. I mean, has anybody been in New Orleans lately? I mean, it's <laughs> last time I went to Mexico, you know, there were like, there were uh, appliances, like kitchen appliances, like uh, <laughs> ovens and shit, yeah. like just in the ditch. And then I was walking down the street. Some dude sitting in his car jerking off. I'm like, eh, feels like New Orleans to me. <laughs> this all seems that tracks. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. They were talking about, uh, um, we're talking about like uh, uh, making um, Puerto Rico the 51st state, which I'm also like, let's add some states, man. You know, all we're gonna do is just make the country a little bigger and, and in some different places. Puerto Rico's not attached to us. That's nice. We got a little satellite part of the country out here we already have alaska yeah that's fucking not attached to us that's part of canada so we've shown that we can colonize places <laughs> that aren't even attached to the uh to, to to the united states let's just step outside and bring we know that they want we know puerto rico's like hey we, we're willing come on let us in let's do that let's the virgin islands let's add mexico not because we're going to be a bigger just because then every all the older white people will shut up <laughs> and they'll be like that because then the then the southern border is going to be like at the ocean and then so yeah. it's going to change things a little bit and all they can do is complain that canadians are coming into the country and they're not staying that'll be a complaint. yeah you never hear about a border wall being built on, on the north side but 
Damn it. I, I'm sure Canada does up. Canada is up there right now thinking about building a wall because they're like, man, the oh. Americans are crazy. Yeah, because they're like, oh, fuck, if Trump wins in 2024, <laughs> everyone's going to move to Quebec. You yeah, know, no like shit. there's going to be six, 60 million Americans that just migrate immediately. <laughs> Most of them with journalist cred- credentials. Like, I got to get the fuck out of this country. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. It's going to be like that scene from World War Z where they're all just climbing over each other to get up. The wall. <laughs> exactly it. <laughs> going to be it really is going to be uh, uh, going to be said that that's where I'm like, it, yeah, Canada should build a wall. Also, I mean, on the other end of it, even though I say make Mexico the 51st or 52nd state, depending on where we go, maybe even just give Mexico the tools to build a wall to keep us out. Because at some point, if Trump again is president in 2024, I would say build the biggest wall you guys can. Lock us in till we get this shit figured out. There's going to be people coming over here trying to take over the available real estate. Lock us out until we get it figured out. You know, I think the only reason we haven't added Puerto Rico as the 51st state or added a 52nd state is because all the the flag makers are just to be like, what are we going to do with all these fucking flags now? They're gonna have to change. <laughs> it well, will be new big flag out of business. Yeah, it'll put. There big... will be new militias <laughs> that spring up. That's the the hopeful thing is there'll always be new militias that spring up, and then they'll adopt the fifty state flag instead of the thirteen <laughs> state flag, and they'll be like, uh, "Oh, this one. Remember when we were a pure nation of only fifty states?" And, and then they'll fly. That, that's for those guys. They can have those flags and fly them in the back of their truck. And the people will call them fifty staters and. They love their own little bit, then because then we'll have two extra states. I think it's great. It's going to employ uh, new uh, new flag companies have to spring up places where they go. We got to add two stars on the machine, so we're going to need a bigger space. And they got their own flag making. Look, at, we're producing jobs now. We're creators. True. Yeah. Well, I I feel like all right. So this might be a long story, but so we live in on the coast of Mississippi, and. Uh, one of the crowning jewels of Biloxi, Mississippi is Beauvoir, which is the Jefferson Davis home, hmm. who was the president of the Confederacy. <laughs> so we went to, like on school field trips to here often, and we would often talk to a guy who was the flag expert of Beauvoir, who would be like, and so before Mississippi changed the state flag, which was the Confederate flag, he was like, well, if they try to take our flag away and they won't, then we have all these backup flags that we're going to put up just in case the liberals take our flag away. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like the United States has a few contingency flags hiding somewhere with some crackpot being like, if the liberals make us adopt Puerto Rico, <laughs> this is what our flag's going to look like. <laughs> We've got a flag contingency just yeah. in case. They have so many flag contingency plans, like it doesn't take a literal act of Congress to, I was to make in, a flag uh, change. I was in um, Arkansas uh, before the pandemic, and I, uh, a friend of mine, I was like, hey, I, I, I don't know if it's legal, but I would like to buy some weed, the club owner, right? I was like, I'd like to buy some weed while I'm here and get high over the weekend. And he was like, oh, my, my brother-in-law sells weed. Um, I'll, you know, we can go up to his house. Uh, and, and I was like, that's great. I got cash. And uh, he's like, it's kind of out in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's about an hour drive. And I'm like, that's cool. That's all Arkansas so is. Out in the middle yeah, of nowhere. Yeah, it's all fucking out. Right? <laughs> so 
we're we go like we're we're going through like a hauler basically to get to the house and uh and uh i'm already like this fucking seems like separatist country (laughs) and right and i'm like this these guys are gonna have weed but they're gonna have fucking guns and they're all gonna be angry and they're not gonna trust me and i'm already feeling like i'm a fish out of water and we pull up to the house which oddly also leaning to the right and i was like son of a bitch okay here it is all the signs are pointing to it lazy dog sitting on the porch right and uh we (laughs) the guy that comes out to greet us is in like daisy dude cut off shorts all the way (laughs) up to his hips and a tank top right and uh, he's waving at us and uh, he goes that's my brother-in-law just like be cool and everything man when we go in there just don't like you know uh, they they kind of have a weird lifestyle so just be cool and stay behind me i'll do all the talking and i'm like all right no problem and uh and then uh his brother-in-law's uh husband comes out and uh it waves us into the house and so i'm like oh it's a it's a gay couple in arkansas wow. oh we're gonna be okay we're gonna be all right no wonder they live all the way out here and then in their living room and i still don't know what to do with this um the the window uh facing the road had like a instead of a curtain they had a giant rainbow confederate flag okay <laughs> and and i was like i i don't even want i can't figure out where they're at <laughs> I'm like, i mean where where does that land like what do i do with this you know, lands I in mean, Joe Exotic territory. Right? What I'm thinking I is, mean, who made that flag? Because that can't be mass-produced. Like, that... that <laughs> don't think people, I've ever seen it online. They're probably the think... only people on the planet flying that flag. <laughs> no, that's a contingency flag, brother. <laughs> <laughs> if the Republicans try to take our gay pride flag away, we got one for them. <laughs> <laughs> that's the... The pride flag contingency. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I had no idea what to make of it. And I was like, just, I just want to, I do want to get high with you guys. But I, I don't want to ask a lot of probing questions because I kind of don't want to figure it out. It's going to blow the mystique, you know? I don't want to know if you're Trump guys or not. I just want to get high with you. This seems fun. Gay dudes in cutoff shorts and they're Confederates. All right. <laughs> Maybe I just have an eye for them, but I tend to notice Confederate flags when I go a lot of places. And um, I remember going to Iowa one summer to visit family, and there are just Confederate flags littered all over Iowa. Who? Wow. Yeah. They're not even part of the South. Had no dog in the fight of the Civil War. I mean, Washington State. I mean, the 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 south end of Washington State. When you get out of this out of Seattle on your way to Portland. That whole area is just fucking Trump flags, Confederate flags, uh, Nazi flags, swastikas. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, the Confederate ones always blow me away because I'm like, we're at, we're in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. That wasn't even a viable territory during the Civil War. Like, we were still pretty much down here and the middle of the country was just starting to jump in. But like, we, Washington State was, had not, I'm like, why are you in the Confederacy up here? Like, I don't even understand what's going to rise again up here. People like, were dying <laughs> on, on their way there at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not yeah. going to rise this high when it rises. It's, no. it's the South will rise again. You're not in it. 
No, and it, and it seems to me that yeah, the only people that like people died on their way to Washington State, like trying to get there to get away from the South. They died in wagons and then ate each other. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get over the fucking pass. <laughs> if right. anything, that should be the flag. You know, there should be a flag for for that. That should be a contingent flag of just a like a, a horse-drawn carriage, but it's sort of beat up a little bit, like the stagecoach awning is kind of coming apart, and there's just one arm hanging out, and then you get closer, you just notice there's stains all over it, and maybe, oh, is are those entrails coming out of the back? It's just the survival wagon. Like, that should be Idaho's or Montana's state flag. Like, if you've made it this far, a lot of people sacrificed, and there's nothing here. So enjoy sale it's a really long slogan i don't think they should adopt Shit. it but yeah, there's this guy that that he's really close to where me and jacob live and we live right right by i-10 that runs through uh the south you know uh along the coast mississippi and there's this guy that every weekend he sets up like this um <clears throat> little oh shop. i know this guy and it's always like trump flags you know confederate flags <laughs> and he's got this huge fuck Joe Biden flag just flying <laughs> right in the front. I'm like, these like little kids can go like, tr- tr- I like the word fuck. I use it all the time, but yeah. I don't say it in front of little kids. Uh, and They well, tend yeah. to not pick up on it as much as you think. <laughs> also, what is it with these guys who want to fuck Biden? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't think he's that cute. Why I do really they want to fuck Biden so bad? Like nobody's really stopped to ask him. Like you guys really have a hard on for this guy. Like, <laughs> You I guess they really want to fuck Biden. I guess because he would like make fun noises while he, you do it. Ah, 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 <laughs> I know, uh, oh, oh, hey, where am I? Joe Biden's hey, man, going a little fast <laughs> there, buddy. <laughs> hey, but slow the, down there, pops. <laughs> the, 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 but the weird thing about it is, is that guy with that sets up that little shop. He's got this huge like sandwich board on the side of it that says need money for rent. And I'm yeah. like, I just want to pull over and be like, you need, you know what you need to do? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go get a job. That's what you need to do. Yeah, go get a job, buddy. J-O-B. Maybe your future is open a small business. It seems that you guys are always talking about us doing that. Why don't you open a small business? Sell some yeah. ice cream. Dude, is America the only country where we're just completely unashamed of our history to like post Confederate flags up everywhere? Because I feel like I've never been to Germany. But I don't think that they still have Nazi flags up just being like, you don't understand. Fascists will rise again. It's a a federal crime in Germany if you uh, flash a swastika or... As it should uh, be. Yeah, I mean, it's like they'll literally just... That's why you don't see like... That's why you don't see Nazis out in like neo-Nazis in Germany. Because they just get arrested. Because Germany was like, you guys can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. But if you fucking flash a swastika or show a copy of Mein Kampf, we will throw you in jail. That is our one no-hit rule. That's it. And I'm like, that's a fucking good rule. Like, I'm all for freedom of speech, man. I mean, I'm fucking, I'm an advocate for being able to say whatever you want. Just be ready for the consequences, right? Like, that's all that's about. Just have, be prepared for consequences. Yeah. Consequences are part of speech. That's the freedom part is that you're free to say it, and then you also have to be free to accept the consequences. And I think that, like, we should just have that caveat here. Like, we don't, there's just, it shouldn't, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt anybody if you go, hey, you can't have a fucking swastika flag. 
sorry, that's where we draw the line. Like we're not giving comfort to the enemy. Sorry. Like yeah. you don't get to have a copy of Mein Kampf. You, we're not, I know you guys don't want to ban books unless they have to do with trans kids or uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, exploring your your gender fluidity. We can't have that. We can't have anything about being an immigrant in the libraries. But okay, then how about we also ban uh, the Bible and Mein Kampf, and then you have to either uh, uh, find a way to get it, like in that Rush album. Like it has to be an antique. It's an you know you have yeah. to fucking search for it, and then you got to figure out how to read it. But like I I feel like that we should be okay with that. We should be okay setting a bar and being like, you know, right to free protest, right to do, that's we're all for that. But unless unless you are a dangerous faction of uh, of of neo fascists, and then that's where we draw the line. Like that just shouldn't. If that's not impeding anything, that's progressive in society like stopping that isn't like a thing that's going to go well that's going to halt you know our uh, you know uh, the the species progression emotionally and psychologically if we stop this awful hatred like tied to a genocide what if we just made that illegal and then progressed from there you know see when i was a kid i always thought something like the internet would would bring us all together but it hasn't it's just made things <laughs> <It's>, worse <laughs> well it's made it easier for i mean when when i was growing up if you and it happened occasionally like if you showed up at a bar with a fucking swastika armband like everyone in that bar would beat the fucking shit out of you yeah. and then you would live in shame you'd go back home everybody would know who you were and they'd be like that person's a fucking maniac don't talk to them don't hire them that was the, I mean, growing up in the 70s and 80s, especially when there were still World War II vets walking around. Yeah. Like, that shit just wasn't tolerated. And the internet normalized it. Because the internet said, hey, there's more than just this one weirdo who has this opinion. Some of these people share this opinion, and it's nuanced. And they dress in a suit and tie. And maybe there is something to it. Maybe I'm missing something. And it allows... This thing to as a you know a smoldering ember starts to just gain oxygen and it becomes a fire and and now we allow we allow that kind of speech in public because even especially like especially progressives or liberals allow that speech to happen because they go well I don't want to be seen as an oppressor because I, I if I say no that you can't say Nazi shit then I am feel like I might be holding you back and I don't want to be seen as the people that I fight against all the time censoring speech and that's not how we should approach it yeah. I feel like you know it doesn't get shut down and years of that being okay is normalized it to the point where now they get to feel obligated to be a part of the conversation or we feel obligated to let them be a part of the conversation because we go yeah. well we're not listening to all the voices hmm. and if we stifle them if we stifle the Nazis First, they came for the Nazis, and I didn't say anything. Like, I feel like we just have to put our foot down publicly about, hey, not fucking okay. Like, to me, hate speech is the same as openly talking about wanting to fuck kids. Like, if someone's in a bar and they're like, I'm going to fuck the shit out of those kids, I'm jumping in that conversation. I'm ending it, right? I'm putting my life on the line. That seems like it shouldn't go any further and shouldn't be allowed. So I don't see why we can't just equivocate Nazi hate speech with child fucking. And then 
Maybe even Republicans will want to do something about it, you know? This podcast is brought to you by our mobile gaming partner, Globe Glider. If you like the fast-paced action of games like Flappy Bird mixed with the strategy of Balloon's Tower Defense, then Globe Glider is for you. Making a donation to the game using our partnership will not only give you sweet in-game prizes, but also unlocks an exclusive open micers cape and helps a small indie gaming company thrive. Download Globe Glider now on the App Store or Google Play. And it's weird yeah. you say that, uh, you know, we used to, because I was a child of the 70s, 80s. Uh, 80s <laughs> you know, I usually start that sentence with, I was a child fucker. Now listen. No. <laughs> but no, like my, my grandfather was a World War II veteran. And if anybody, if he'd have seen anybody walking around with a Nazi, you know, like a uh, oh, patch on their arm, he would have smoked them right in the face. But yeah. then you got the boomer generation who were uh, the kids of those W, you know, World War II veterans. And they're the ones going around, like, mostly, like, talking all the hate and shit. And it's like, yeah. what happened? What happened? They had a taste of, they had everything. That's the thing. Is they had everything. They had all the freedom. They had money, the drugs, the um, access to everything. They were born in the most privileged time in our nation ever and when you give people all that uh i mean if you've ever seen like have you ever seen somebody you ever read the watch those stories about people who win the lottery yeah yeah and they just go fucking insane after like a couple years they spend all the money and they go crazy right (laughs) and it's because it just things progress too fast when you have all that access you stop thinking rationally because you don't have to anymore your threats are different and I think boomers especially grew up so coddled and safe uh, and without the, the, the necessary means to actually produce anything. I mean, that whole generation is about investing. That whole generation is about taking the money that their parents gave them, investing, investing in smaller businesses, gorillas, but they never built anything. They just had stuff given to them. And so I think it's easier for them to take a, you know all this shit for granted because they've never been affected by anything. Like the gen, their kids, Generation X. That's me. We were affected by them so much. I mean, it's visible. We've single handedly reinvented the therapy industry. Like <laughs> an entire generation that propped up like psychology as a booming business because mm-hmm. we had parents that weren't available emotionally. We raised ourselves. They always all these boomers were like, we're not going to be like our parents. Right. We're not going to be like our parents. We're not going to be conservatives like our parents. And then they put their fucking keys in a fishbowl and they do a bunch of coke and they fuck each other. And then they get hooked on drugs and they got to sell all the beds and their kids are just fucking making their own dinners and watching reruns of shows that influence those people to be the people they are. And we're like, holy fuck, I'm getting a look at the past and I don't want anything to do with it. And we grew up just going like, I'm not fucking having kids. And if I do, I'm not fucking raising them like my parents did. I'm going to let them kind of get their own shit together. I'm not going to tell them they have to be religious. I'm not going to tell them they have to do that. Like, Gen X kids are the Gen Z kid, right? They're, there's some millennials, but it's a lot of Gen Z kids. Those are the kids that are like, our kids, Generation X, are like, this place is fucked. <laughs> you didn't tell us shit. You didn't fix anything. Why were you guys so hands off? We have race problems. We've got the climate's heating up. And we're like, 
man, I just got this jar of pickles open, man. It's taken me 25 <laughs> years, dude. Nobody's helped. I didn't know how to ask for help. And and I, I think that the farther we get away from boomers, we see that. And also, we don't have the money that, that they do or the resources that they did. I mean, how many people you know that Generation X people that like their parents left them anything substantially close to what their own parents left them, which was probably pretty substantial. Yeah. You know, and my, like my parents, are, my parents are still alive, but I know that, you know, one day when they go, there's like, there's not pretty much nothing that's going <laughs> to pass to me. You know? So I'm just like, eh, I'm on my own here. No help. See, is coming. <laughs> We're yeah, not so different than Jason. Cause yeah. uh, he's Gen X and I'm Gen Z. And obviously there's, there's like a 20 year age gap in between us, but I, we have a lot in common because it's the same thing for me. Like I've got not like my parents didn't even help me buy my first car. Like not even close to anything. I feel like that's the funny thing is I feel like the millennials for the most part are like the me generation kids that were in between the boomers and Gen X, you know, like my brother's generation that just, they were just disaffected. They got high all the time. Punk rock happened while they were adults. And then they just kind of grew up and disappeared. And and I feel like I relate way better to Gen Z people than I do. Uh, like, I mean, people in their 30s and 40s, most of my friends are in their 20s or 30s. Oh, yeah. You know? And it is. It's true because we do have a lot more. I feel like we're all in that same boat where Gen Z also raised itself. I mean, yeah. I, I learned about porn because my dad forgot to take his shit out of the VCR. You know, I didn't right. have to flip around cable. I'd fucking learn how to deck tapes and make copies of stuff early on. I was, that's the, I was like, I'm not waiting for anybody else to accidentally introduce this to me. I got it. I learned how to cook on my own. I learned how to read and write on my own. I guess I can learn how to, this works, you know. I, I Very that's similar. It. Like, I, I was sleeping over with a friend one night, and I was just like, dude, what would happen if we just went and got the family laptop, put it in incognito mode, and Googled porn? Like, we can just do that, dude. There's nothing stopping us. And like, no, dude, don't do it. We're going to get in trouble. And I was like, nah, dude, we're going to look at titties all night. And we look at titties all night. Like, that's how, that's how Gen Z is discovering itself <laughs> again. Millennials were in that weird gap between the VCR and the internet being good where they didn't experience it. Exactly. And they also like, they didn't have to, I, I feel like we're both forgotten generation, you know, like we're just forgotten. You raised yourself, you raised yourself on the internet, you know, you right. were brought up in a system that was like, you've got it, you know, I mean, the screen in front of you, like, it's funny. Cause I, I went to, um, I went to, to, uh, this music festival this summer, um, cruel world in Los Angeles. Um, or at Rose Bowl Stadium, right? And it's the festival was Gen X bands. It was my fucking generation, right? It was like Billy Idol, Squeeze, uh, ABC. Um, let's see who else did we? I mean, we had like uh, like tons of punk bands, Susie Sue too, Gary Newman. Uh, so I, and it's all people my age. It's all people in their late forties, early fifties. Uh, this was on the radio when they're growing up. So it's all people my age, disaffected Gen Xers. Everyone's in black. It's a hot summer day in fucking Pasadena, right? Um, we're all tired. I saw people give up 
on the way to the stadium because it was too far <laughs> and just put your chairs out in the parking lot and go like this is good enough man like just watching gen xers give up before they even got to the thing they paid for because they're like it's too much work Ugh. like and then we That's got amazing. into the show and <laughs> like and all of the staff all of the uh, like the outdoor security everything all gen z everyone's under anyone's 27 and under right and uh and it is the most it's the funniest most like uh, nobody gives a shit like the older people are just like this line for the beer is so long well it's just gonna fucking wait and they just wait for like an hour and then you get up to the person getting the beer and it is someone who's 25 years old and they also don't give a shit and they're like what do you want oh okay paps that's original whatever and then so it's just whatever's all day and then iggy pop gets on stage and who looks like a desiccated bandage that's been left on the dashboard of a car in the summertime now and and uh there's a lightning storm coming and i can see it coming over the pasadena hills right the rolling hills i'm like that's a lightning storm and it's summer right so and it keeps getting a little closer and eventually the sound cuts out and the screens, the big mega screens go red. And uh, the, an announcement comes over the whole thing. It's 50,000 people, 60,000 people on, uh, at this arena. And it's just a dude going like, uh, hey, it's like there's like a lightning storm coming. So like concert's over. So we got to go. So everybody get to your cars, man. Like can't be out here. Fire department says we got to shut it down. So uh but it's coming so run <laughs> and literally told a crowd of fifty thousand people to the, we have no idea where the exits are at the cars are easily two miles away and i watched there's a, a an emergent big emergency gate by the side stage that, that should be open for people to be able to get out and all i see is hundreds of gen z staff just fucking leaving <laughs> including the security because they're like well i'm not staying it's fucking lightning storm dude like pull yourselves up by your bootstraps man and like 30 of us had to pull open the gate to get to the exit because there was no one left and literally there's just just young people just going home because they're like i ain't risking my life for anybody like i have barely enough time left on this planet you guys have almost set it on fire a couple times I am getting the fuck out of here. I'm going to go have a drink somewhere safe. You old people take care of yourselves. This is your problem. And then just Gen Xers wandering around for almost an hour and a half trying to find their cars because there was no lights on. There was no security. And I'm like, this is the most Gen X thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, it couldn't have been more Gen X. We were just like forming groups. Like, all right, let's all find our cars. What are you driving? What are you driving? Did it? Somebody goes, well, didn't you put a pin in your map? And we all turned on that person. We're like, what the <laughs> fuck is a pin? What are you, millennial piece of shit? Did I pin my fucking location? Like, we're just fucking ready to murder. And I was like, it's so funny to see, like, Gen Z people and Gen X people in those situations, which one of them is just like, we already know where the exits are, and we're not fucking helping you guys. Like, you had plenty of time to do this yourselves. Like, you didn't even ask. You didn't even ask where the exits were coming in. You just assumed someone was going to help you because that's your whole fucking life, isn't it? And then, 
And and also fuck you for not fixing race relations or the economy and making it impossible for us to buy a house. So you're on your fucking own. I hope the lightning takes you all. Oh, they're a hundred percent right. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, there's they're not wrong. Like as no, they they're should. not wrong. I totally agree with them. But, so we need to get into some open mic for questions while we can. We're we are running away with the time here this episode because we're we're just having such fun. Chatting. So sorry. I hope it's fun. Oh, I hope no, it's fun. Oh, oh yeah, you're good, man. Um, let's get to some open micers questions, though. Uh, the really the biggest one we need to cover is your very first open mic. When was it? Where was it? And how did it go? Uh, it didn't go great, but I was also 13. Nice. And I took the bus from Auburn, Washington to Seattle, which is about 35 miles, uh, and my mom did not care. I told her I was going downtown, and she was like, well, just be safe. <laughs> and then I got on a bus and went downtown, which, by the way, Seattle in the fucking 70s oh. and, and 80s was like, it was still a fisherman's town full of, like, murderers and drugs, and most of downtown was owned by the mob, so it was all flop houses, X-rated theaters. And they're like 80 comedy clubs because it was the boom. So I went down to the um, underground uh, comedy club, Swanee's Underground, which was the big club in town. And because I loved stand up, I was raised around, you know, I wasn't raised around it, but I mean, I didn't listen to music until I was in my late teens. I mean, I only really listened to comedy and, and, um, I gravitated towards it. I just didn't know how to make it work because I had a, you know, child's brain so my you know everything i wrote was definitely kids aren't funny i mean they're just not they're funny unintentionally but they're not <laughs> fucking funny they're not writing zingers you know because they don't know shit like, your brain hasn't formed yet it's so See, soft you hear that jacob you were not funny that night we started our comedy careers what? together i was a little older I, I started at 17 not 13 so <laughs> shit! I <laughs> I had a little bit more going on. There, <laughs> yeah, you had a little, you formed, you at least probably had heartbreak at least once or twice. Yeah. But um, I will say, I, I want to ask you this because this is, has been my experience because I started so young and I didn't have anything to talk about on stage. Like it forced me to be a joke writer comic. Like I can't get on stage and tell a story. Was it the same way with you? Uh, yeah, I wanted to have material. I thought I had jokes and I, I wrote stuff, but. But it just, it you know, they were so bad. Like, they were kids' jokes that a kid would right. write, you know? And they didn't have, like, any setup or punchline. All I think I had was, like, a premise. What's and the deal the, with these Legos? Yeah, well, I'd say shit like, uh, well, uh, my grandparents' car, is it says a, a thousand uh, tons on it. And, boy, boy they're fat, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and like shit like that like just a kid joke and uh but i sat in the back the guy that that ran the mic at the time turned out later to be a friend of mine who was also he was 19 or 20 working the door and doing mics and stuff and so uh he said i could sit in the back with the comics i couldn't be near the bar i could sit where the comics are so i get to sit with all the older comics and watch stand up in a club which was far more important to me than being on stage at the time just being in that environment and knowing that I had access to it and I could do it. I could at least be in the room when it's happening. And 
you know, that, I, that night, I remember, I, I mean, I met people that I know now. They knew me. They didn't know, you know, they'll never remember me because I was 13. I'm sure they saw a million kids come through there. But like, I knew them, you know, I remembered their names. I'd see them on TV locally or I'd, you know, see them at different clubs. Like those are all people that I ended up knowing. And they, a lot of them were locally famous or, you know, close to famous. And I, I just, I got jazzed by it, but I also sucked at it. I sucked so much that that first mic, it, I was like, I never want to do that again. That was terrible. I had such bad stage fright. And uh, I tried it a few more times because uh, that's what comedy is very much like a, a drug where if you're like, well, I didn't get high, so I'm going to try it again. And yeah. uh, and then next thing you know, you're fucking hooked on it. And you're like, oh, I'm selling my TV because I need to do, I need to go to Portland so I can do this mic, man. Oh, my God. And, and uh uh, I, I, I quit because I got the stage fright was so bad. I didn't know what it was. And I just associated it with standup that every time I got on stage, my stomach got weird and I felt scared and I didn't realize I was having an anxiety attack because I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, that's comedy makes you do that. So instead I'll play music for a while. And, uh, I started learning an instrument so that I could, um, I learned an instrument so I could get on stage. Uh, with other people and not be the only person on stage. And I thought that might help me get used to it. So I did that for a lot longer than I should have. Uh, hey, we're in the same <laughs> boat. <laughs> <laughs> Played a lot of music and, uh, uh, and um, I, and it helped, it helped, it helped me, uh, it helped me get my land legs. And the longer that I did it, the more comfortable I got on stage and the more I started standing further out in front of the stage, and then I started talking on the mic more in between songs, and and then the shows went from 45 minutes of music to 30 minutes of music and 15%, 15 minutes of me talking to 25 minutes of me talking. And I eventually I was like, I think I'm going to stop ruining everybody's good time. Now I'm going to get out of here and not carry anything heavy. And I'm just going to go do stand-up. And then I went back. I went back to the club that I started at. Uh, I went back to Swanee's and, um, and did the mic. I watched the mic because I wanted to see what it was like again to be in there. And uh, I went immediately was like, I got to get on stage. I got to do this. And I uh, told my wife, like, I'm, I'm just quitting music and I'm getting into stand-up. And she was like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are my friends gonna do they like going to your shows uh and i'm like well i'm gonna be an entertainer and she's mm, it's not okay. the same <laughs> it's not the same at all and uh not prepared for the years of uh um uh, uh gut-wrenching soul-crushing uh absolute uh, uh personal destruction that happens when you start stand-up comedy where if you do it right, you have to be completely broken down uh, by failure all every night, starting with failure, start at failure, and then start to uh, really, uh, the more you do it, the more you start to understand the depths of failure and just how much failure hurts. <laughs> and then you're like, I got to get a little less failure. And then you start fighting that uphill battle where, you know, uh, uh, I mean, I wasn't prepared for the, you know, the years of just like, fuck, when is this, when am I, when am I going to get laughs all the time and not feel terrified? But 
I was so jazzed to do it anyways, because I felt like I now I'm an adult. I can write things and I have a better handle on my feelings. And and that first mic, though, that I did when I came back was the worst. It was worse than the time I did it when I was 13. It was way worse because I was all into Bill Hicks and shit. And so <laughs> oh, no. I thought I was going to be fucking Bill Hicks when I got on stage. And, you know, a first an open micers first time adult open micer who as much as they love comedy has not been in that uh, uh, has not been in it hasn't done it and you know it it's it changes you like yeah. doing stand-up every night changes you on a molecular level it changes the way that you talk and the way that you think you start being more analytical about stuff even if you don't know it you're looking at things and you're cleaning information from it differently and it also breaks you down like it it really does tear you to shreds and then slowly builds you back up and calcifies everything so that you're a lot harder on the outside to criticism, to noises, to, you know, shock or anxiety. And, uh, and so that whole process changes you because you've seen, you know, we're all, I mean, I still do open mics, but you can tell when it's someone new, even if they didn't announce it, you can tell there's a fear in their eyes that you just, you recognize it and you're like, oh, your pupils are really small right now. You are, you are terrified. You don't know where to look. They don't know where to look. They, uh, they don't know, immediately don't know what to do with the mic or the mic stand. And, and then and they're very bad at comedy. They're very bad at comedy. Like <laughs> nobody horrible. has ever come out of the gate and been like, first time I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Here we go. And then they just oh, launch into. We've beautiful. seen a few open micers here where we're at, where they just think they're, they're the absolute shit before they even do their first show. Like, I'm going to go up here and kill it. They go up there and they just bomb for like, don't even see the light. They go right through the light and do like 15 minutes of no laughs, get off stage and be like, I killed it. Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you, they, it's that feeling like you, you know, remember making jumps when you were a kid for your bike and get like a, really rickety piece of plywood that you found and some yeah. cinder blocks, the <laughs> safest combination in, in, in uh, being a, a young adult. You put those two things together and you take your bike up and you eat shit a couple times yeah. and it hurts real bad. But then one time you actually, the jump works and you don't spill and you're like, I'm fucking Tony Hawk. <laughs> nobody nobody saw it nobody appreciated it no one cares you did a base level thing you survived and you feel like a conqueror but you know the funny thing is i i wish that people like that would record their sets and then 10 years later you sit down and listen to it and see how fucking much better you are and what a different person you are from that time because those guys who do stick with it when they do fail, it's crushing. The first time they feel it, the first time they actually have something to lose is they've written jokes, like they've written them and they've practiced them and they believe in them. And those all fail. It's like watching your kids get shot execution style, man. <laughs> it's just fucking like, oh, nobody likes this. I love it. You know, uh, that's satisfying. I mean, as open micers, who doesn't sometimes feel good 
watching someone's ego get destroyed in front of you. I'm not going to lie. It feels good. <laughs> it feels good because we've been that guy, right? Like we've been that people have been in the room when it's happened, when it happened to me, like I know people saw it and I'm sure that it transformed them in some way positively because they were like, whoo, ah, that's, that feels good. That guy had it coming. And also I relate to that feeling. So I know that it's not just me. It's good to see someone else fail. But also the hope that when someone does have that ego crushing moment, that if they stick with it, that's where it starts. That's where the fractures and the fissures all start. Mm -hmm. And then they start like getting a little bit more humble, hopefully. And then they start writing differently, you know, or they quit and they or they, you know, they go home and they're like, this belt's going to take care of my joke problem. <laughs> and then they, but it's very rare. It's very rare that comedians will commit to anything that long, that long term. But uh, uh, <laughs> most of them will bail on that premise pretty quick. That's why a lot of them are still living. <laughs> well, um, even the bad open micers are like, I can't kill myself. I can't even finish a joke. God damn it. Well, we're getting close to the end of the episode, and there's something we haven't done it in a while, Jacob. There's a there's a question, a burning question that Jacob likes to ask. Yes. Uh, our guests and I, I want to get back to it tonight because I, I feel like we'll uh that Derek here might actually have a good story for us yeah man there, there's a burning question that's kind of the pinnacle of our interviewing success that we that we like to ask our guests here it's been asked to the likes of Sam Talent it's been asked to the likes of Steve Byrne well, I mean we've Alexander. asked some legends in comedy this question uh Derek Sheen when was the last time as a grown man that you shit your pants Oh fuck! Uh, great question. Um, I have I told prided you. <laughs> myself. I have prided myself on getting to fifty-three years and never shitting my pants. Never shitting my pants. Have never shit my pants. And then recently, uh, oh, all right, it's turning around. Let's get it. Yeah, recently, it's probably only like a month ago. In fact, I am very private. My wife does not understand. She was raised on a houseboat. So they don't even have doors, right? She's like, <laughs> she'll just fucking, she'll drop a deuce with the door wide open. And I'm just like, ah, ah, oh, don't God. pee, don't do anything. My ex-wife was like that. She used to shit with the door open. I'm like, I don't want to see this. What are you I doing? I shit with the door closed and I put a chair underneath it. I, somehow she's like, do you think I'm going to come in? And I'm like, I'm not taking any chances. I'm a prior, I, I have wiped so hard that I have uh, get, it's, I've damaged my skin. It is a, uh, it's just full of fissures and scars. My doctor is like, you have a real fear. And I'm like, that's all we need to say. And I, so pride myself. I'm not shitting my pants. And then um, about three weeks ago, I was getting over a cold and pretty much most of my diet was NyQuil. I was just taking, I, when I get sick, I do NyQuil all day. I don't do anything. I don't go out. I stay home and I just stay in a stupor for like three days of just NyQuil sleep, sleep it out, sweat it out, try to stay hydrated. Don't take in a lot of nutrition. And after about three days, I ordered some soup from this, uh, this awesome Vietnamese place, a hot soup. And they got to the house and I'm in bed and I'm eating the soup. And uh, when I put the bowl down and I, I just, I've got a fart. And so, and that's how it always starts. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I did that thing where I, I really ripped one 
like really ripped a, a bold one. I, you know, I haven't really eaten anything in three days. I just had another Manyquil. Uh and uh and it won't stop. It's just fucking hitting. And and uh and and then I, I'm like, oh, that was kind of a oh that that was a that was really painful. That was kind of painful. And uh, and then I'm like, God, smell is not going away, man. That is real bad. I got a little bit of moisture. That's all right. I got a little bit of moisture. That happens occasionally. A little wet one, a little moisture buildup. It's hot under those sheets. And I'm trying to watch a movie and eat. And I'm like, that fucking smell isn't going away, man. This is killing me. Yeah, I shit all over the bed. I shit my pants. I shit my legs. I shit all over the bed. I shit through the mattress protector that's supposed to not let you get shit anywhere there was shit under the mattress protector i shit so hard the mattress protector killed itself like and then i had to call my wife because i was like i can't get all this off the bed myself because it's a giant like it's a king-size bed and everything's fitted and i'm like you gotta unzip the mattress protect and I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna get all and I got tiny arms and shit. So I already need help. So I had to call my wife and I was like, hey, uh, I tried to cover it up with the and I go, hey, I just need your help. I gotta wash the sheets, had a little little pee accident. She was like, Oh, oh, okay. Cause she has those all the time. She had a little pee accidents. I mean person, right? And uh she comes down, she's like, ooh, wow. Oh, that smells, uh, that's something. And I'm like, yeah, I just got a, I got a, I just, I a little, uh, and she's like, I oh, know you had gas because of the NyQuil. I get that all the time. I'm like, yeah, I had gas because of the NyQuil. And then uh, she goes, what are we doing? I'm like, I just need to get the, unzip the mattress protector. Why? I just want to unzip it. I just want to wash everything because, you know, I have a little bit of pee. And she's like, well, the mattress protector will protect it. And I'm like, just help me with the fucking mattress protector. <laughs> Why? Why do you need that? Why does it smell so bad in here? <laughs> And she pulled back the blanket and was like, oh, no, you shit everywhere. And and of course, I'm expecting her to chastise me. And she's like, oh, this feels so good. Like, it feels good. Like, finally, you shit the bed. Like, you finally did it. Like, you've passed. We've crossed a Rubicon. Like, that's a big deal, buddy. You shit the bed finally. Like. I, she's done it. She's done it. She's pooped a little bit here and there. I, I'm not, I shit everywhere. She was like, so proud of me. Like now we've crossed, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Now you shit the bed. Now you can shit with the door open. I've seen this disaster, you know, you've ruined furniture. Like you have ruined furniture. Like you, you know, you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to live in the shadows. So that 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 was the uh, first and uh, only time I consider shitting my pants because a bed is way bigger than pants. By the way, <laughs> a lot more square footage. Oh, I've shit the bed before, buddy. I know. Oh, I mean, I've shit the bed metaphorically. Yeah, at times. an open mic. <laughs> I've shit the bed a lot. Probably gonna do it tonight. Uh, but well, like... I'm I'm still in my 40s. I'm about to be 47 this next year. So, and I, I still haven't shit anything yet. It's coming. Uh, it's yeah, coming. I mean, I you know, I the shit train's coming for you, my friend. I thought yeah, it happens to everybody. Train, See, I thought it was going to happen train. when I when I had COVID last month. I was like, this might be the time where I I shit myself, and I didn't. I I was a bell to bell drinker. 
I drank when I drank, I drank from morning until 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I drank all the time. I was always drunk, never shit my pants, not once. Chronic alcoholic, never peed, never shit my pants. I'm like, look, <laughs> this is one thing I'm not doing. I have I have NyQuil for a couple of days and a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, pho, and I I shit I shit like an elephant in a bed that I share with a person that I love. Like I shit, it was a horrific amount of just and penetrating shit. Like it went through everything. Like it not only burned through the like the, the holes of the ship and the the stromo and alien, but like it, it not only burned through the mattress protector, but like. It, I feel like it even like kind of dulled the paint in the room a little bit. <laughs> like I just feel like the, the room's got it hits different now when I go down there. Like it's like if you go to a restaurant where you witnessed a murder on accident, like it just have that feeling where you're like, I love yeah. to eat here, man, but like it just holds different memories now. Like not the same. Things well, happened in here. Some bad <laughs> things. Look, when we die, we shit ourselves, and that makes me right in the end for everybody. <sighs> Everyone shits their pants, guys. Uh, we do got to start walking towards the door, though, boys. Here's fixing to die. Is that the and, light? Oh yeah, you got the light. You got the five five minutes left. Um, all that's left to do is plug, Derek Sheen. Uh, what do you want people to follow? Where can they see you? What's happening? Um, uh, check out Derek Sheen Rules uh, with a Z R-E-R-U-L-Z dot com uh, which is where I have all my tour dates, clips uh, all kinds of stuff and then um, and Instagram I'm super busy on, I try to stay up to date on that but I'm coming to the Midwest soon and I'm hoping to uh, I'm doing Louisville in April so I'm kind of hoping to start booking some stuff throughout the Southeast uh, again, it's been a long time so I'm yeah, hoping around April area, I'm gonna come out and do a, a couple weeks and try to hit everybody, see you guys, and awesome. uh, you know, and do an open mic. Let's do an open mic when I'm out there. Hell yeah, hell yeah, man! Hit us up. Yeah, I'll have. Okay. Your, uh, I've that. got your link tree. I got your website and your uh, Instagram in the show notes. So if you, if anybody out there wants to go follow Mr. Derek Sheen, it's all here in the show notes. Yeah, you can just come click and get them, me. Click them, and they'll take you right to them. And Jacob. <clears throat> so this is going to be out on Wednesday for the public. And in two days, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, in two days, if you're in Pensacola, you want to tell them where we're at, Jacob? Oh, brother, in two oh, days yeah. in Pensacola, Florida, me and the man Jason Robbins are invading. We are, once again, I will be opening for the great Mo Alexander at Vital Music Hall for the third goddamn time. And I'm bringing along <laughs> my buddy Jason Robbins to do a hot guest set a full five minutes of comedy in front of a hot sold out theater crowd. Although tickets are still available guys. If you need those. <laughs> uh, I am so stoked to get to do uh, Mo. We were just talking about him. Oh no. I think Jacob, uh, I think Jacob uh, accidentally uh, undid himself. <laughs> <laughs> he did a victory lap and tapped himself out. <laughs> let me, uh, let me fix this real quick before we get out of here. Let me turn off my webcam. There we go. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let us get out the door. Derek, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, on the show tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure having you oh, here. Oh, thank you guys so much. Super fun. Uh, I, I had a blast talking to you dudes, and I can't wait to see you next year. Awesome. Well, hang on while we walk out the door and so we can have a little chit-chat after the show. But uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at openmikerspodcast at gmail.com, openmikers.com. We just dropped a new blog post the other day. Go check that out. 
Also, Linktree slash Open Micers Podcast is going to take you everywhere you need to go. And we love all of you guys. Thank you for hanging out with us. Also, we dropped our Thanksgiving special yesterday for Patreons only. Go check that out. So we love you guys, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is a Zoo House LLC production. We got to tell you guys about B-Res Coffee Company. That's right. B-Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by gamers. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to BeResCoffeeCo.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order.